In a global industry where anything can happen, where mistakes can cost far more than dollars, one oil and gas sales expert, one HSE professional, and the greatest PPE provider on the planet must come together. Two men, one brand, one mission. Red Wings Oil and Gas HSE Podcast with Mark LaCour and Patrick Pister starts now. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, and this show is for everybody who has an interest in HSE in the oil and gas industry. Brought to you by Red Wing, the leaders in PPE, ensuring your people go home safe every day. Joining me today is my brilliant co-host, Patrick Pister. Hey, Mark. I feel like my mom's been writing these for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Patrick, what episode is this? Uh, we're kicking off with episode number 42. And Patrick, before we get into our guests, do you know that we now have our own radio station? We do? Yep, we have our own internet radio station. So you now can listen to Oil & Gas hs e podcast 24-7 if you chose to do so. Look out, Howard Stern. Look out, Howard Stern, yeah. (laughs) And so, Patrick, just throw a link in the show notes uh, so people can uh, subscribe or or listen to it that way if they want to. And we're sitting here in the Texas Open Innovation Conference, and we're lucky enough to have Jose. Jose, I'm not going to get your last name right. Gutierrez. Yes. And you're the Director of Technology Innovation for TransOcean, and I'm just so happy to have you on the podcast with us. You know, we had a great lunch conversation, and we were all over the place, right? (laughs) Um, It was amazing that you have such an open-minded very intelligent, experienced background in our industry. But one of the things that we, we talked about was how our industry, from a cultural point of view, looks at the way they measure safety differently than other industries. You want to talk about that a little bit? One thing that I noticed when I entered this industry five years ago is actually safety. is so one of the number one things they do actually quite well. There's safety procedures. I mean, there's a lot of elements on safety. But the one thing I have not seen enough in the drilling industry, I cannot say this for the downstream industry, but in the drilling is that equipment that we get do not have a way to measure the safety level. Like you're doing any you know, automotive industry, aerospace industry, nuclear industry, they all know what is their level of safety, measuring all sorts of probabilities of failure on demand. The nuclear industry call it probability of catastrophic failure on demand. For obvious reasons, they don't advertise this to the public, but they, they know these numbers that they engineer this equipment for this. In our industry, that's rare. I mean, they, they put a lot of safety backups, uh, elements to keep it safe, but it's in, in most cases, it's not quantifiable. Right. And that's, that's Just a, redundancy is pretty much the standard. It, the redundancy is the answer, but yeah. even when you have a redundant system, you have you, you you need to measure it. I mean, a plane only has two winds, and it's not doesn't have <laughs> redundant winds, but there is a way to measure what is the, their probability of that it will not land. And and of course, you never get yourself into that position. You they take action be, way before that event could happen, and, and we see that in the results. So that's that's the the issue that I, that I see different in the, in the upstream offshore business is that the safety element is, is actually measure the consequence of it and not the cost. Uh, and that's a, a, a big thing that I believe uh, many innovators now that we're in the Texas Open Innovation Conference could see as a big opportunity to help the industry. Yeah, and I think it's a huge opportunity. Now, we talked about a couple of things here. One is you have to quantify, you have to measure. So things, we're talking about this at lunch, things like a blowout preventer, you could and you should, but we don't, measure its um, percentage of failure, right? So we're talking about that part. That's one thing that we don't do very well in this industry. 
Yeah. Yeah, correct. I mean, the, uh, we, we measure, I mean, we test the equipment subsea or, or, or on the surface a great deal. And we measure very well when it's not working. Okay. Uh, unfortunately, in many cases, and we call that non-productive time right. caused by the equipment or subsystem, etc. cetera. Uh, unfortunately, many people equate that to reliability. So an equipment is, less re- is not that reliable because it had this non-productive downtime. But it turns out that the unit of reliability is not time. It's actually probability of failure. So we have a disconnect between the terminology used, even in other industries, and the actual event that we're measuring. We're measuring the consequence. And the drive should be measure the cost. Identify the cost, measure the cost, manage the cost. Which is, again, in, in many other industries, this is quality 101. In, in our case, this is actually different. Okay? We have a, a language barrier. We have many other barriers, but we have a, <laughs> definitely a language barrier. And gets impacted on how we find the solution. I see many companies trying to hire from the outside, you know, aerospace people, uh, reliability people from the nuclear industry, etc., coming to offer their services, but what they're asking for is not what they deliver because they're using the same word to mean two different things. So you said something interesting. Do you think the focus is on MPT and reducing MPT, so the goal is to maximize the day rate that you're getting? So do you think the problem is the actual focus? We're looking at the day rate. We want to maximize the amount of uptime that we have versus the chance of a failure, which is actually what the stack is there to prevent. Yeah, a stack or, or any equipment. I don't want to just focus on the, on, on the BOP. It could be any, any piece of equipment that doesn't work, we don't, or rig doesn't work. Or, or may make uh, the rig not to work, and then that causes a non-productive downtime, which is, is a bad consequence. Okay, you don't you don't get revenue, or customers doesn't reach uh, his goal of finding oil at the right moment, etc. But the problem is, measuring downtime is measuring the consequence of an of an incident, not the cause. Okay, looking for the cause now you you need I mean it's it's not a simple thing as we know but you start with instrumenting equipment you start by, by measuring monitoring tracking uh, one thing that that we're doing in Transocean very well is creating models out of data so we receive a lot of data from multiple machines some some of the relevant machines we actually create models so we know we 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 know what it's supposed to be doing and when it's not tracking into that direction. We can anticipate that hmm, this is, you know, it's wearing and tearing. This uh, this device, this filter, that you need to change, etc. Now you can d- now apply what we call uh, predictive diagnostics and r- make the repair before the actual failure occurs. Now, the consequence of that is that you avoided the downtime, but also avoided all of the implications uh, of cost maintenance. You know on-planned uh, maintenance, etc., which you wouldn't do otherwise. You, I mean, today, in most cases, the industry waits until the failure occurs in order to react. Yeah, you know, it's, I'm it's glad you brought that up. So one of the things that, and I've been in this industry for 20 years, but one of the things that's it's always puzzled me is that we don't do as the predictive maintenance like we should. Now, we keep talking subsea, so I'm going to stick with that, that theme. So when they go in production offshore and there's a tree, that tree has a life, and if they would wire that thing up and collect data and model around it, they could predict when, say, a seal would fail with a reasonable degree of accuracy. And the more they monitored it and the longer, the more data collected, the more accurate they would get. But they don't do that in our industry. We, we don't do that. They, that tree has a time limit, right? And they say, okay, it's, it's so many hours, they're going to pull that tree from the floor. 
and that's downtime and that's lost production time. And you would think, because the airline industry does that, every bearing, every part, every bolt has a predictive analytics built around it. And so the airlines know when they need to do predictive maintenance, which keeps that plane, that asset in the air, right? So, you know, it's one of the things that frustrates me is we see other industries doing this thing very well and, and we don't do it at all. Yeah, and, and many people get scared when they hear the word predictive because they say, well, okay, uh, do you have a magic wand that can see the future? And really, I mean, you can predict when a ball is going to drop, uh, how long a, a ball will drop into the floor because we have the Newton equations. Right. And you can predict when the, the airwave will arrive to from one point to the other because you have the Maxwell equations. So creating mathematics, creating models around things give you the, uh, the ability to predict. Now, if that scares you, the easiest way to predict is to count. If something was designed to be clicked 300 times and you are in the time 150, you, have, you could have a policy time to change. So the easiest analytics that you can do is pattern analytics, which is just count. And then uh, at a given point, when based on experience, you know, you know what? Time to change the filter. Why? Because I know by experience that it fails every so many cycles. And that's an issue. We're not even counting. Uh, the, the next element of analytics is show the data. I mean, measure and show the data. And once you start seeing the data, people can, cre can create patterns very easily. I mean, we, we all find patterns on the weather without watching the, the <laughs> weather channel in the morning. You yeah. can just see it. It's going to rain today or it feels like it. Let me bring an umbrella or and reckless and will not bring the umbrella. Okay, fine, but that was your decision. And now you know what you're facing it. So we can do a lot of that today. It's not done, unfortunately. It's, uh, I mean, the, the equipments are not sufficiently instrumented. Uh, everybody speaks a different format and protocol and communication thingy, uh, which make it very difficult to, to actually being able to, in my case, like a rig owner, being able to, to grab all of this data and centralize it. And it's, it's doable. It's been done today, but it's, it's challenging. It's not a plug and play thing. Like in other industries, in other industries, anything now talks to it, everything. Uh, I mean, your laptop, you go to any hotel anywhere in the world and it will connect to the hotel and I mean, different pricing models, but it will connect. And that's the value of uh, standards. Which brings me to the point that a lot of the friction that we're getting into these analytics and monitoring and diagnostics, et cetera, come from the lack of standards. I think you pointed out a couple of good things. That One, we know we're not counting. We're, we're swapping out hoses and we're changing out seals when we inspect it and it's, and it's faulty. But we're not, and we're putting that back in Excel. We're taking it, taking the old one out and putting the new one in. Mm -hmm. um, but also the equipment manufacturers, they don't give you, like you said, if it takes 300 clicks till it fails, they're not giving us that with a lot of this equipment. They just will tell you what the specs are for, but they won't tell you it's good for X number of cycles. They, they just kind of give it to you. Or, or simply say that they are compliant with whatever uh, regulation exists, right. and, and that's it. And that, that's the end of, it, of the conversation. Yeah. yeah. It's, um, you know, I think a lot of that is culture. I think the culture both in, in our industry and our suppliers to this industry is that I, nobody's pushed and said, hey, it's okay to tell me when your product fails. In fact, I want to know when that, your product fails, right? And so I, I think it's going to take some changes in the way our industry thinks about things before a vendor will feel safe saying, yes, that hose will fail at you know, 800 hours at you know, 10,000 PSI or, or whatever. But that culture is always the hardest thing to change. Are, have you seen that as well as far as the culture being the stumbling block and trying to bring some of these best practices in? Well, I, uh, 
it will it will be bad to call it a stumbling block. <laughs> I mean, I, I when I came from I came from the industrial world. I came from Emerson Electric, industrial uh, manufacturer, commercial manufacturer, and definitely a dif- midwestern company. So totally different culture than what you can find Houston, South Texas, and the oil and gas industry per se. And I can tell you, my number one challenge wasn't technology or products or lack of uh, subject matter expertise was people uh, because there is a, a established culture and the question is it's not about changing the culture it's actually how to harness the culture because the, the culture here is hard workers okay great ethics uh, I, I insist what I said at the beginning which is um, the safety element I, th- I see it very high uh, I mean Naturally, I think people think safety, people, doesn't matter what rank you have, if you are doing something wrong, somebody will stop you and say, that's wrong, yep. okay? Uh, and I've been learning a lot, being, being a newbie in this industry, I've been learning a lot, and I, I admire and respect that. So I, I think it's a matter of harnessing the culture. This culture is creative. It's, it's quite creative. The problem is the way to funnel that creativity into actual implementation and innovation is what is challenging. Okay, uh, not the fa- I mean, I see very smart people, very dedicated people, but not the right conduits for those ideas or that solutions to be delivered into products. And that's an issue by itself. I mean, we have the technology control on few companies, which hinders innovation because the barrier to entry. I mean, if the all of us uh, listening to this podcast get together, great brains, and create a company to solve uh, world hunger we wouldn't fly within the, the oil and gas industry because we don't have a pedigree, we don't, we don't have a name, we don't have a pe- reputation. I mean, there's a lot of elements. However, I believe that if, you, if we are smart enough, uh, and that's one of the things that excites me about being in this industry, you could harness that in your favor to create great solutions, great value propositions that will eventually disrupt the market. I mean, this is a market calling, yelling oh, for yes. disruption. I, I agree. Uh, innovation in the industry, I mean, I think Jose's right that you have, the drilling contractors are extremely risk averse. Any new technology that comes into the industry, drilling contractors are going to push it off because it could potentially affect their uh, their NPT, their, their, their day rates. So you really have to attack it at the operator level. Those are the guys that are able to push down and, and make the contractors and the vendors and the suppliers really adopt the new technology is what I've seen in the industry. I wouldn't characterize it that way. Yeah, I thought on, on that one. I mean, th- there's a dynamics. Uh, you are right. Uh, driller contractors, uh, for the most part, saying, hey, if I put a piece of equipment, and who takes the liability when that equipment fails? I am taking it. Okay? So definitely you don't want to put equipment that you don't fully understand and know because it puts you on the risk of actually having more losses and, and potentially even safety. Right. right. Okay? So, so th- I think that, that explains that risk aversion. Then the OEM says, oh, but I have this great idea that is going to solve world hunger for the drilling operators, but these driller guys doesn't want to talk to me, so I'm going to go to the operator. And then the operator says, hmm, this sounds good. This may deliver some value. Hey, you driller contractor, you need to put it in your uh, rig for free. Right. Because it's going to deliver value to you, I mean to us. But to, so there's a dynamic that is not conducive to these deals very well. What I discovered really is that you need to incorporate the three. And by the way, this is what I really call open innovation for the drilling market. 
you need to you need a piece you need the manufacturer you need the uh, rig owners and you need the operator and whatever business case that you create have to have three legs what it is, what it is for the OEM what it is for the uh, rig contractor and what, what it is for the operator reason is is that it's, it's a different equation right okay? it's totally different I mean the 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 extra MPT that the operators calculate, I mean, if, if you save MPT for them, it is true that you save them much more than what it will be saving to the rig owner. But in total, if you see it as a total economic output, it's peanuts for them. Right, okay? yeah. Uh, now, Compared to the spread costs of their day. I mean, the spread costs and then the opportunity costs. So, so there's a lot of elements on the economy beyond what it makes the eye, okay? For the rig owner, there may there might be a benefit, but again, how do I monetize it? How that inclu- that benefit include me? I mean, you seen the I remember one of my first experiences in, in the uh, offshore drilling was the managed pressure drilling fever. Everybody had the best flavor of the day. My managed pressure drill is better than yours. Well, nobody even agreed what managed pressure drilling actually meant. There were so many different components to it. That there were too many different, but from the point of view of uh, uh, my background is control, uh, control scientist. So as a control guy, hey, closed loop control, that's the way to go. I mean, doesn't right. matter <laughs> what details you give me below, beyond that. I, I, can, I don't understand drilling. I respect it's a, it's a science okay, by itself. But... Closed loop control is the way to go for anything in life, right? However, when I, I was in this conference in Milan, a managed pressure drilling conference, and I see every company known to man that knows how to spell managed pressure drilling <laughs> telling me that their system is better than anybody else, I said, well, this is a marketing disaster because what is the customer going to say? I will wait for somebody else to test this because I don't know which one is better. Well, I remember doing, you know, preparing bids for operators, and they wanted managed pressure drilling. Well, you come back with clarifi- clarification questions. Mm-hmm. What do you mean by managed pressure drilling? Because yeah, the manufacturers are all over the board with what constitute managed pressure drilling. Correct, and and then trying to differentiate themselves, they fought each other, okay, and created marketing confusion, and then that is a hindering for adoption. Just from the, a forget about the technical details from the marketing point of view. Um, so, again, the value proposition wasn't well put out, okay? And I believe even today is better, I feel, uh, but it still hasn't been well put out because everybody's thinking on themselves. I need to do this in order to get this benefit for me or my company. Problem is, if you broaden the scope and said, okay, what, how can I create a solution to my problems where I, there's something for the community around me so they actually become part of my team and they support. So we have aligned goals. The result will be different, okay? Because three different business models. The, the manufacturer OEM, as long as you, they get their growth margins and their market expectation, that's good. But that's totally different for a rig owner, okay? For, we want to drill safe and promise a performance and get that performance to the customer, and that's it, and that, that's the end of the job. And uh, of course, the operator wants to do many, many, many wells, cheap as possible and safe. So the, all of this sounds similar, but it's dissimilar on the business model. Um, so I believe the solution actually is a, a, an ecosystem where we all work together. Having said this, you see the, I, I see many uh, attempts to do JIPs here and, and I, I don't see it working very well in many cases. Um, I've been lucky enough to be in one uh, deal uh, with a customer and, and some OEMs where, where 
work very well uh, as a model. Again, trying to create a value proposition that hits, it's a win-win-win proposal, as upon I win and everybody else lose. Right. Okay. So it's possible, but it's challenging. Yeah. You know, um, where you see that well is in automotive. And it was a few years ago, but the all big automotive manufacturers partnered with their key suppliers and helped them, even if they've meant money or engineering, right, and helped them, gave them what they needed to increase the quality of those parts so that they had less defects, which then helped everybody, and everybody made more money. And you're right, I, I, I can see that it's not going to change in our industry until we have that type of model where it's a win for all of the companies that are involved, because it just makes business sense. Correct, correct. And uh, by the way, I was uh, I was at Eaton uh, Corporation on their automotive uh, uh, segment many years ago when when this situation was happening, and it was great because we were all aligned. There there were other bad things on the oil uh, oil industry. Uh, sorry, uh, car industry, automotive industry that created other problems. Okay, uh, but definitely you are right. I mean, they 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 went through this. The, we, all of the suppliers were incentivated to do great quality work, and everybody benefited. I mean, the knowledge was shared, right? And yet, everybody could make money, and everybody was happy. And you know, it was funny about that. The first company I did that I think was Toyota, if I remember right. And so everybody else, all the other manufacturers, had to do it the same way. Partnered their suppliers, or they would get left behind by Toyota. And it's going to be interesting to think if that happens in our industry. What if? Next week or next month or next year, we get that perfect combination of, you know, Transocean, Chevron, and, you know, Weir Electric or whatever, and they do it first. Then the rest of our industry has no choice but to do it, or they're going to get left behind. Correct. Yeah. Totally correct. This is probably one of the key topics I'm going to present tomorrow in in my presentation on the Texas Open Innovation Conference, is that... This is the best opportunity that we have for to innovate in the oil and gas industry. I mean, the, the entire oil debacle is the best. I agree. Because while most people is uh, exiting or uh, escaping through the exit door, only the leaders will survive. Yeah, okay? and then you, you and I talked about this. We talked about technology and, it's, and the role of technology. But the problem is, especially if you have technology vendors you're listening to, is they want to bring you a solution to try to find a problem. And that's not how it works. You need to identify the problem and quantify the problem and then see if there's a solution, which may be technology. Correct. Exactly. The equation is give me a problem and then there's a lot of smart people out there that can uh, help us bring the ideas to solve it. Uh, But what we need is the problem definition. And and this brings me, we were talking earlier about the talent and the lack of talent and how to attract talent to oil and gas, Houston area, etc. Uh, I have that problem because, I mean, I be, I'm a firm believer that what we need to bring, the talent that we need to bring are systems people, people that can see a problem as a full system, not as a, I have a widget. Right. Actually, the, the best way to characterize this, I say it as a joke, but it's true, open any oil and gas related magazine and you will see a widget. <laughs> yeah. People are selling you a widget. It's 99.9% reliable widget. They're but, big, heavy widgets, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but, not, but there's no systems. And what we need is systems, s- systems, okay, and systems people that manage and design this uh, full system, not pieces of it. Yeah, and as we move through time, I think, so I agree with you 100%. You know, people that are listening to our podcast, if you're not real, very familiar with the life cycle of a well, especially an offshore well, the amount of money that is wasted, because the guys that go and drill the well, 
don't talk to the people that have to go in production, build that production platform. And neither one of them talk to the people that have to decommission that well. And, and if they would just get together up front and talk through it, when they originally drilled the well, they could make things cheaper and better for the guys that have to go in production who can then, when that well's at the end of life, can make it easier for the guys that have to decommission. But nobody does that. Nobody in our industry does that. And there's, there's millions of dollars right there, that one problem right there. And all it is is changing the system in the way they work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, um, uh, um, uh, again, in our industry, there are very few systems people. I mean, in Transocean, we we have been lucky during the good times to to hire import. I call it importing, <laughs> of course, importing from Austin, from New Mexico, Silicon Valley. I mean, that there is a lot of talent out there actually that will be happy to come and, and join this industry, but they don't know it. I mean, the, the our industry, unfortunately, is not considered sexy for many other right. industries. Yeah. When, when reality it is, I see it a quite uh, you know huge opportunity to innovate here because of these problems. Uh, but on the system side, I see here everybody's a mechanical engineer. Well, I mean actually my best example of mechanical engineers. I went to visit an OEM uh, a few years ago, uh, and he showed me very proudly a timer, a timer that was one and a half times taller than me and much bigger than me and he called that a timer so he said so <laughs> tell me what and my background is electronics so, so for me a timer is my the clock that the watch that I have in my hand that has a timer and it's minuscule and it costs probably less than a cent in mass quantities okay mm-hmm. so so this is a electronic timer this is nothing it, it's free essentially well this device what have had a hydraulic circuit that put some accumulator fluid to go through another one, fill it up, and when it fill it up, some lever will pull, and then that was the time. And so they measure time by moving fluid from one tank to the other. So, and I said, like, you can do that for a lot less money, a lot less mass and space. Doesn't compute. <laughs> it does. It, it, I mean, that comment never, never computing his brain because. He was so proud that he made a hydraulic timer. Yeah, much, much, much bigger than me. So yeah, I don't have the <laughs> I don't have the heart to go back and find that guy that 500 years ago somebody was doing it with water before him. Water clocks. <laughs> clocks used to be, be water clocks. But that's interesting to hear from Transocean because Transocean, as far as the drilling contractors, has a very robust engineering department. You you have a lot of people. I, I don't know how it is now, but before the downturn, you were always Transocean always known as as an engineering powerhouse. powerhouse. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, but, but but to hear there's not enough systems engineers is a little shocking. Well, now we have it. Okay. Now, now we have it. No, definitely. No. Um, the, so the, yeah, def- before the 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 debacle, the the all the, this depression in in the oil and gas, uh, yes, I mean we we had a huge vibrant engineering department. Of course, now uh, right size given the the times, uh, and we've been known by technology leadership. Uh, and I will say yes, I believe we are technology leaders. But one thing is to be a technology leader and another one an innovator. Technology is not innovation. Right. Okay. The fact that you know, you know how to manage a well better, faster, safer, that is not innovation. You are doing a piece of work that you just happen to be the one of the largest in the industry. You do it more often. You train people better, etc. That's all all good. Uh, give you a quality process, but it's not innovation. Innovation is about delivering value, in this case, new value. How can I deliver wells faster? Uh, how can I deliver wells uh, 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 at lower cost? 
okay? How can I create rigs that are 10x, or, or I, I'm exaggerating here, but uh, 10x cheaper than what it is today? So that is, that is delivering value. And then, of course, you need technology in order to deliver that value. So technology is just an enabler for a solution, and the solution is the innovation. So it's a different thing. Uh, my department, uh, the innovation and technology department, was created to, with a whole focus of how to bring differentiation and add additional value beyond what we normally do. Okay? So that's where we bring the systems guys. So we design pieces of equipment, processes, measure things in order to, to deliver a clear value. And again, these days you can, you can bet that the delivered value is lower cost, higher efficiency. That's, I mean, and consistency, which is a, another term that I rarely see in this industry. People take you, give you an average, but I mean, you, you can have a, an average that is good, but you have a lot of outliers that are really bad. Right. Okay. Uh, so, so one of our drivers is consistency. Okay. So we, if we, if if we are within one standard deviation, we want to make it narrower, and then once you reach it. I want to make it even narrower. So I'm, I may be I'm not sure our target. audience knows what standard deviation is. We don't use, we don't use any kind of <laughs> sigma in the uh, Well, the I, mean, or, I mean, for the simplest term is, if 95% of everything you do is within a band, you are good. You have consistency, okay? Uh, and assuming that the band is a, a narrow band, or, you know, I mean, if I, if I arrive, I know my route to work is 22 minutes. Sometimes, sometimes it takes me two hours, sometimes it takes me two minutes. That's a bad performance in, in the point of view of Transocean because that is inconsistent. Right. Now, if I do 22... Well, you, you can't improve those 20, process if it's completely out of control, that you have too control. many outliers, exactly. you cannot improve it. Exactly, and that's, that's an indication of quality. I mean, from, uh, my, from my experience in, in other industries, first, doesn't matter if you're not hitting target, first make the process consistent. Once you achieve consistency, move the target to where you want Absolutely. to be. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, again, quality 101, there's no, nothing new <laughs> on that, but it's not well done in, in our industry. Uh, and that's one of our drivers. So uh, our innovation really is, okay, it's, it's pretty much doing many obvious things, uh, trying to remove the, the human from the loop, okay? The human can be assisting a loop, uh, but trying to, to remove the human decision from the middle. Uh, and a great deal of what we do is actually considering the culture. And for example, the pieces of software uh, dashboards that we do, we, we hire a, a, a psychologists to work with our people in the field to actually make sure that whatever information we deliver to do their job is designed by them. Now, what goes behind the scenes, how you deliver that information, how you measure it, capture it, process it, et cetera. Yeah, that's the engineering folks behind the, the, the scenes. But what my guys get to see in order to take a, a critical decisions is actually dashboards created for them, by themselves, for themselves, things that they can really act because they ask for it uh, and we guided them, okay? So we try to be facilitators of their work as opposed to try to impose a solution. Okay, like, oh, yeah. you should do it this way because I said so. Well, no, you have the experience. Let's harness that experience, but let me give you the tools to make that experience much more valuable and eventually trying to also codify knowledge. Uh, so a lot of dependency on the experience of people were trying to get that experience and harness it and codify it, get data and actually understand, okay, 
this is the way we sometimes go slower, this is the opportunity to make it a little faster, or don't make it a little faster because it may impact safety, et cetera, et cetera. So trying to codify that level of expertise in actual um, uh, digital tools to uh, uh, enable them. Wow, so speaking of innovation, so I think innovation is almost demonstrated completely by the fact that you, as a large company, are going out and talking to your field guys and telling them, tell me what you need, versus 10 years ago, it would have been, here's what you're going to do and here's how you're going to do it. That's an innovative way of thinking because now your guys are going to perform better, you know, to- because, yeah, that's they're awesome. They're owners. They're owners of the, the, the solution that you're providing is their solution, it's not my solution. We are enablers. So and so that, that, this, is, this is a key thing. This is exactly I what I told you before. Uh, you don't change the culture. You actually harness the culture. They've been doing things the way they do for a reason. Now, it's easy to dismiss like, ah, oh, no, that's, that's, I don't know, Joe does this, this all the way at time. Well, let's try to discover why. And then you discover. I mean, there's many things that you start discovering. Okay, it's because, I mean, sometimes it's because on some... His boss told him to do that, so and he just keep doing it. Okay, you need to modify that. Okay, but once people know the reason, they will make the change by themselves. You just need to give them the tools to understand why they should not be doing what they're doing. Everybody wants to do the right thing. Okay, so but you need to expose them and see them and make make that their solution, not to impose. I mean, definitely, if you if you come with a dictatorial way of doing it, I would say all of us. I mean, in the innovation space will, will fail miserably. Right. This is great. Jose, we're getting close. We're starting to wind down the show. It's time for our Red Wing Safety Tip of the Week. Do you have a tip for our audience? Being a techno geek, I will say uh, uh, be careful with cybersecurity. I mean, uh, right now, most of the equipment that we're using in the field is enabled by software, and everybody pays attention to the mechanical elements and the energy, uh, heating energy that is inside it. Well, there's a lot of software in it, and m- many of us, or m- many of our audience, doesn't understand all of the software subtleties. Uh, so read and stay informed about cybersecurity issues. I mean, it's too long to tell you the, the, the long list of elements, uh, but this is serious. This is a serious element. Most of our equipment and all of the equipment of the future will be software-enabled and will, may have an issue, may have a, a potential threat that you don't want to be involved for, for safety of the people or issues within the company. Yeah, and what a great safety tip. So Patrick, it's about time for us to announce our bag winner. And this week's winner of Red Wings Offshore Bag is... Keith Linton. He's a senior environmental consultant at Braun Intertech. Congratulations on winning this awesome bag. And if you'd like to win your own offshore bag, Jose, see the bag right there? Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to win one of those, they're in hot demand. Some, I've had several people offer me $500 for that bag, and you can't get it. The only way you can get it is you go to redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. That's redwingshoes.com forward slash podcast. Put your information in there. We draw one lucky winner a week. And audience, you can do it too because this really is for you, not just Jose. <laughs> and then talk a little bit about our LinkedIn group. It's the companion to this show. It's the companion to Oil & Gas This Week. It's a companion and because we just got ink on pages upcoming oil and gas industry leaders where Patrick, she's giving away $200 steak dinners. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to uh, sign up for it. <laughs> yeah. So audi- should. Yeah, audience pay attention. Pay- We're actually gonna do the grand launch of oil and gas industry leaders from the uh, Caterpillar booth um, f- for 
the opening day of uh, OTC here in Houston, Texas. So a great show. i got an awesome host. Uh, she's going to be interviewing some very senior people, getting their backstory. Looking forward to that. And we, we actually have had some people already reach out to us. And it's like, where's Paige's show? It's coming. Um, reviews. Patrick and I desperately, desperately, desperately need reviews. Please, 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 if you like our show, if you listen, take the three or four minutes, go to iTunes, leave us a review. We've heard y'all, right? We've heard the feedback that it's hard or it's um, difficult to navigate in iTunes. So Patrick will throw a link in the show notes on a literally step-by-step uh, process of how to leave an iTunes review, which is sad. We shouldn't have to throw a link to the process. <laughs> Nothing against you, Apple, because we love you. We're, we're sitting there. We're all Macs in here right now. Um, if you like the show, uh, share it, please. Uh, one of the best things you do is go to oilandgashsne.com, which is the webpage, website for our show. Every single way that you can subscribe, I don't care if you're an Android, iOS, I don't care if you're running Microsoft Mobile, Linux, whatever, we got you covered. You can subscribe. Um, and you also can give us your email address. Uh, our live event, which has now been pushed back to the fall, uh, will be announced there first and be announced in the LinkedIn group second. If you'd like Patrick and I to come visit with your organization, your uh, HSE group, your school, whatever, let us know. We'd love to come talk to you or bring the podcast out there and do a podcast uh, f- from your organization. Have podcasts, will travel. Have podcasts, will travel. And none of that, none of that travel would be possible without who, Patrick? Uh, Lee Hecton Harrison. They are the global experts in talent management. They're currently helping 75% of the Fortune 500 oil and gas companies simplifying the complexities of leadership and workforce transformation. And you yeah. can check them out at um, lhh.com. Yeah, we'll put a link in the show notes. So yeah, thanks for Lee, uh, Lee Hecton Harrison for being our travel sponsor for this year. Um, if you would like to be a travel sponsor, reach out to Patrick and I or Paige and I or Jake and I or anybody else that you want to and let us know. <laughs> it's a great way to get your company in front of a whole bunch of people and in a whole bunch of oil and gas conferences without actually having to get a booth. So, Jose, if people wanted to learn more about TransOcean, we just give them, send them a TransOcean website. But if they want to learn more about you, LinkedIn, have them reach out to you on LinkedIn? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, yeah. I have my uh, LinkedIn uh, page updated Okay. Uh, during my vacation, so I have <laughs> finally time to, to do it. Uh, but, yeah, de- definitely. There's, uh, I believe my link is uh, Jose dash gutierrez dash innovation yeah we'll put a link in the show notes people just click i'll I'll put um, links to the transocean website too they're all over the place they're deepwater.com they're they're stock tickers rig they're (laughs) it's it's not just transocean correct and it's um it's um you're getting ready to speak tomorrow which i will be here tomorrow to listen to you speak now unfortunately this podcast is going to air much much later after you speak do you happen to know if um, they're putting your presentations online or is it too early to tell it's too early to tell i don't know i mean i imagine they will normally they do but again, I'll be happy to send that to you directly if you, if you wish for, for your listeners. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if either you can send it to us and we'll go back later, Patrick, and add it whenever yeah, it's absolutely. done. Or if they actually air it on the, um, the Energy Conference Network, we'll put a link there. But this way you can actually listen to Jose talk. Because I'm telling you, him and I could have talked all day about this. I mean, just such a wealth of, of, of intelligence and, and new ways of thinking. All the stuff I find so admirable in our industry. We're going to have Jose back on. I suspect Paige is going to have him on her Industry Leaders podcast. You can do that, Paige? Yes. Yeah. Thank if you. you. If you want to. I mean, yeah, yeah, you don't pleasure. have to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And My. then we're also going to have him on the Oil and Gas Technology podcast. So good stuff. All right, Patrick, you ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right, folks, don't be afraid to give up the good to go for the great. Y'all be safe out there. Tune in next week for another exciting episode of Red Wings Oil and Gas HSC Podcast, a production of the Global Oil and Gas Network. Learn more from Mark LaCour at modalpoint.com. Connect with Patrick Pister at leanoilfield.com. From Houston to London to Dubai and beyond. 
And I was able to hack a piece of equipment using MS-DOS. <laughs> 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 Somewhere in Africa. So. <laughs>